Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Yahoo Sports NBA Podcast, hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. In our exposure. To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the mouth. Chris Mannix. Yes. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Yahoo Sports NBA podcast. Got two guests lined up for you today. We begin in Washington, where the Wizards, disappointing year last year, 43 wins, didn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. They shake things up a little bit. They add Dwight Howard to the mix. They bring in Austin Rivers. They sign Jeff Green. I check in with Candace Buckner. It's a great job covering the Wizards for the Washington Post to talk all things going on in D.C. A little bit later on, Tony Jones does a great job of covering the Utah Jazz over at the Salt Lake Tribune. Tony and I talk about how the Jazz kind of decided to just keep the band together, bring everybody back, see if they can build on a surprising post-Gordon Hayward season. So we discuss all that and more with Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, let's go. All right, joining me now on the podcast, as promised, Candace Buckner covers the Wizards over at the Washington Post. Candace, thanks for joining me. And thanks for having me. Um, Wizards are interesting. Let's let's start there. The you know forty three <laughs> wins last year, going back, uh, number eight seed, first round exit, injuries clearly a factor in last season, but you know a pretty disappointing one uh, in Washington. So the Wizards go out and make a few moves. Marching Gortat is out. Dwight Howard, Austin Rivers, Jeff Green. They are in. So let's start with 
the big man, Dwight Howard. Washington, from from what I know, was one of the few, maybe the only team seriously interested uh, in Dwight Howard. Uh, right. What's the thinking there? What, what what do you think they they expect from him? How does he fit into what they want to do? Well, it seems like um, from Washington's perspective, he will be, and I think he will be. I think uh, they 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 envision him as uh, an upgrade from Gortat. Um, but it's just it's it's just interesting to me that as the league goes one way, the the Wizards are still zagging towards we still need a traditional uh, five. But still, uh, he's he's he'll be more athletic um, than Gortat. He should be able to finish better than Gortat, and and I think that's what John Wall needs. He just needs people to catch and finish uh, when he when he um, is concentrating as a distributor. But what they're expecting from him. Um, you know, he, he basically, uh, it is a one year, uh, one year audition. I would say for him, even though he has uh, the option of, of coming back next year, talking to his side, it's, it's very clear to me that he wants to continue his career. And I, I wrote the story about how he wants to play to 40 and you don't play to 40 by getting eight one year deals back to back to back to back to back. Eventually you're going to have to get a big contract to stay somewhere and I believe this is a season in which he really wants to um, uh, showcase who the the new 2.0 Dwight Howard is, and um, and and test himself on next year's market. Yeah, you, um, you, yeah. You wrote, you wrote a you wrote a great piece in the Post last month about you know just just Dwight and that the headline that stuck out was the I want to play uh, until I'm 40. It just it feels like Dwight started every season, Charlotte, Atlanta, wherever he goes, <laughs> yeah. it's the same stuff. He just talks about, you know, being a good teammate and, you know, you know, fitting into a role. And then the season starts. And when I talk to people like, you know, Charlotte or Atlanta, it's not even like overt stuff that, that gets Dwight in trouble. It's like the passive aggressive, you know, you know, instead of rolling to the basket, he, he shoots that broke jump shot of his instead of. Right. Um, you know, and it's, when he doesn't get a post touch, he grumbles under his shirt about his teammates, stuff that probably the average fan doesn't notice. But as you know, right. like the coaches see it and the teammates see it and everybody sees it in the locker room. He just, he never seems to have been able to get that that stuff gets him into a lot of trouble. I, I just wonder if he's ever going to get that, if this is just kind of the, the same sort of Dwight trying to sell himself and the end of the season, Washington's not going to be able to run away from him fast enough. Right. So you know, basically when you sign in July, as a reporter, I'm, go- I'm going to take you at your word. You know, I'm, going- I'm going to write down everything you say. Mm-hmm. But eventually, and especially with, with someone like Dwight, who has said this at, the, um, at his last stops, as you, as you already mentioned, um, you-, you want to see more. Uh, and you-, you just want to take him at his word in July. But when October comes and it's training camp, and it's uh, preseason, and you start evaluating his actual play on the court and see if it's aligning with his words, then, um, then, we'll, then we'll see really if Dwight gets it. And I don't know his state of mind. I didn't pay attention to the Hornets last year, and uh, I only uh, paid attention to him in, uh, in Atlanta when the Wizards played him. So I don't know how many times he actually slipped the screen and didn't help his point guard, point guard out or how many times he may have pouted um, um, on the defensive end. I don't know. And those are things that I've also heard um, that Dwight later in his career ha- has has done. So who knows uh, really where his state of mind is. But, uh, again, in July, if you talk to his side and you listen to his words, 
he he sounds motivated. Mm. <laughs> Again, I'm sure Rick Bonnell can say, uh, who covered the Charlotte Hornets last year, that he could say the exact same thing that I'm saying now. Um, and and so same for the Atlanta reporters. But you know, I I'll, I'll quote him accurately and I'll tell his story. But soon those words are going to have to become actions. And and if they're not, this Wizards fan base, which is one of the most um, fatalist fan bases I, I think in the league, they're gonna they're gonna run out of uh, patience soon. Do you think that he from from talking to him? Do you, do you think that he gets that at this stage of his career, especially with this team? He's a role player. I mean, the guards, are, huh. as, as Washington goes, so go you know, the, the Wizards' guards there. Then you have Otto Porter getting his touches. Do you think he gets that, that it's probably going to be you know, eight, nine shots per night uh, for him here on out? And that's a great question. Um, again, at the press conference, everybody says all the right things. That, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll defend, I'll rebound, and I'm just here to do what they want me to do here. But um, who, who really knows? This, this has been a man who he really has been a superstar for most of his career. And how easy is it for you to uh, shift that mentality to, uh, guys, I'm, I'm the fourth option. He's, he, he, he's the fourth option on this team, especially if Otto Porter, um, you know, steps up and, and gets a little bit more aggressive, as he, as he very well should. Um, so does he get that? Uh, tremendous question, Chris. I don't know. Time will tell. He's got to be one of the most fascinating characters in the NBA at this point because, like, the injury stuff is is kind of out the door. I mean, he was 81 games last year, and he gave right. you 16 and 12. Like, he, you know, that kind of, like, on paper, you'd think teams would be tripping over themselves to get that type of player. Now, maybe some of it is, as you kind of alluded to, other teams are kind of, you know, you're zigging one way with small ball type of lineups and floor spacers at the five, but you would think there'd be a number of teams trying to go after him, but... You know, it was Washington. I'm not really sure there was a, a second choice there. Um, yeah, I, I guess there were some rumors that Golden uh, that that he had some 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 at Golden State. I don't know how how true that is. Uh, but you know, if you if you had a choice between Golden State Warriors and Washington Wizards, then <laughs> um, I don't think it, it is a choice. So. Um, I, I am curious, and I am, and you said interesting at the beginning of this, uh, uh, of this podcast of how uh, describing the Wizards. I think they are interesting. I think they will be one of the most interesting teams in the East just because of the off-court, the locker room, um, and, and, and seeing if this experiment, experiment actually works on the court. There's so many elements that can go wrong this season, Chris. Uh, they got six, six rotation guys um, uh, essentially in a one-year deal. Mm. So how does that dynamic, how does chemistry work? How do, how do all these new guys um, mesh with John Wall? John Wall's entering his ninth year. Next season, he, 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 he has that Supermax extension kick, kick in. This team is going to be uh, handicapped financially for years to come unless, you know, something major happens. And so this is, to me, this, is a, this could be like a turning point type of season. Mm-hmm. The other two guys I mentioned that Wizards picked up, Austin Rivers uh, in that trade with Gortat, and, and of course Jeff Green has been around the block a few times. Uh, either one of them, do you see? I mean, as being significantly impactful, something Washington needs. Well, I, I think uh, you know you just look at Austin Rivers, and especially they have this shortage um, with the backup too, with Jody Meeks and missing uh, the first nineteen games of the season after um, you know a drug suspension, serving out the rest of his um, uh, drug suspension. You think, okay, Austin can play the two. He can definitely uh, spell Bradley Bill for some minutes and also play the one, so that's good. But I really like the Jeff Green pickup. Um, 
I don't know how much of a vocal leader he is within the locker room, but the, the guy has been around. He last year, you know, he, he was a big reason why the, uh, as, as you were at that game, he's a big reason why the Cavs got past uh, the Celtics in game seven. And so um, him and I believe Yamahimi are the only ones in that locker room with finals experience. And I just, I just believe that because he'll be a little bit more of a distribute, um, a contributor that he, his voice may resonate more in that locker room as um, that missing veteran leader that they haven't had over the last two years. And that's been a hole since Paul Pierce left Washington um, yeah. last two, three years, maybe. Um, so I, I, I really like that Jeff Green pickup and he's one of the one year guys. And I'm, I'm thinking he's supposed to, you know, replace what Mike Scott, um, um, left as a void, but um, I I really think that he can be maybe a common influence in the locker room. But I also heard that he's a bit of a he's a bit of a you know a jokester too. So I, I wonder how that dynamic with you know Dwight <laughs> will work out. Uh, but somebody needs to settle down that locker room, and I, I nominate Jeff Green. <laughs> when you say when you say settle down, what do you mean by that? There's. Um, there's this way, okay, so they're young, but this is an old group. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like even, even though they, they have, they log years, I just don't see like a calming voice or like to get dudes to speak to a guy and, and get them on, on board. Um, so this, this last year, that, that whole team meeting thing that came out, that, um, that John Wall, um, uh, just randomly dropped in January that they had this meeting two months ago and guys and some guys didn't take it right. Um, filling in the blanks um, ap- after the season, trying to get a little bit more of that, of that uh, meeting meeting was, was pretty much a, a bunch of pointing fingers and, and um, how, how is that productive? Um, maybe that works with some guys, but if, you're pointing a finger and a guy sees you not playing defense or sees you um, shot hunting. And these are things that, you know, that even the voices of the locker room would say that guys were out there getting stats. Well, if those same guys think that you're the one that's out there getting stats or not defending, then that's a problem and you can't point the finger. So I think somebody needs to be able, somebody with uh, a little gravitas needs to come in and, and kind of be the one who to calm down, the finger pointing and the, um, and um, I just, the, that, that energy doesn't seem like it's, that energy last year didn't seem like it, it unified the locker room. So there needs to be somebody that can play both sides, for lack of a better term, and, and um, talk to a guy that maybe feels ostracized or picked on, but also relate to the leaders on the court, John and Brad, and uh, help them be able to um, communicate effectively. Does that guy, I mean, I want to get into John Wall, the player, but does that guy, the, the, the calming influence, shouldn't that be John Wall at this point? I mean, he's got to be 28 this week. You mentioned the number yeah. of years he's played. I mean, shouldn't he have a grab on that role at this point? Yeah, for sure. But, you, you know, you are who you are. If your personality, um, John has been on the record of saying, you know, he didn't come in as a leader, and this is something that he's had to learn. Mm-hmm. But if your personality um, – isn't, you know, to kind of kumbaya and slap guys on the back and say, oh, shucks, it's going to be okay, and uh, <laughs> you know, put an arm around a guy. If that's just not who you are, then uh, it comes across as uh, fraudulent and no one's going to trust it anyway. So if this leadership style may be 
um, maybe a little uh, grating or aggressive. And, you know, you, you've talked to John Wall. He talks really fiery. He talks like his, his cadence is very up all the time. He uses his hands. And I think uh, during what the game two of the playoffs, there was that, that shot that became a meme of him and Gortat discussing something. Mm-hmm. Bradley Bill says, <laughs> Bradley Bill feels like he's like he's living the nightmare that was the 2017-2018 season next to them. But that's just, <laughs> I really believe, like, that's just the way that John talks. He's always kind of fired up and um, animated. So I, I don't know if, um, you know, behind closed doors, that calms down. Um, who knows? But um, I think they're, Paul Pierce did something for them that, that we haven't seen since. And whatever, um, you know, gravity that he brought to the situation and, you know, maturity and just calmness, it worked that season. Um, and I, they really do need that again. That was an iconic NBA Twitter photo. That, that <laughs> one of the bench just, I mean, you couldn't turn on Twitter for months without right. seeing somebody allude uh, to that picture. It's like uh, watching mom and dad fight, and you're like, yeah. oh, would they stop? But yeah, he was with, having a, a, a nightmare of a game, so I think he was more he was more uh, into into uh, his sorrow because of that. Yeah, and nightmare of a game and, and nightmare of a season for Wall, who I mentioned is is going to be 28 this week. And you know, prior to last season, you know, relatively durable, 75 plus games each of the last four years. Uh, missed half the season last year with that knee injury. You mentioned the contract; he's going to make 19 million this year, almost 38 million. Uh, next season uh, has battled knee, battled knee problems though these last few years. I mean, wh- are, do you think the Wizards are going to be maybe? Are you going to treat him with kid gloves going into this season? Do you limit him? How do you protect John Wall, who's been through so much physically? Right, you got to protect him sometimes. I think from himself, even when he came back after that knee injury, and he missed some games early on because of the shoulder injury. So it's, it's kind of like a, a, a various shorter deal. But when he came back, he was. He was uh, going headlong into the into the rim, attacking, cr- uh, crashing to the crashing to the court, and kind of playing full out. I don't know if the Wizards need that John Wall, nine years in, twenty eight years old, um, and he doesn't have he doesn't have a lot of playoff mileage because they never made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But still, nine years is nine years, and you're coming off um, having. No, no matter how small it was, surgery is surgery. You're coming off having surgery in less than, uh, uh, you know, this 12-month calendar. Um, they do need to protect John a little bit more. Um, Bradley played a gang of minutes, a career-high minutes, played all 82 games. And maybe he can take that because he's still, what, 25? 25, 25, mm-hmm. 26. I don't – shoot, he just had a birthday. But John Wall, as your franchise guy – who is supposed to be here for the prime of his of his career? You, you do have to do a better job protecting him. And they they always say, you know, it's not just game minutes, but it's load. And so they track how uh, how much they they keep him on the court for practices. And sometimes, of course, as you know, you know, stars don't practice. But um, I think his game probably needs to change a little bit. And if that doesn't change, because they still need a dynamic John Wall to go. Um, they, they need to find a suitable backup so they can give them some, some rest throughout the game. Yeah, and, and 
you know, it's it's the next. I'm I'm curious what the next evolution of John Wall is because he's been so like speed has been his thing. You know, going to the rim, right. attacking all that stuff. I mean, can he evolve I- into something more? I don't think he's ever going to be a dead eye three point shooter, but we have seen point guards, you know, evolve in in different stages of their careers into different players. I wonder if because I mean he's 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 untradeable. I mean he's literally untradable because of the contract, the knee. Well, uh, you don't think Blake so? You disagree? Griffin was. Well, Greg, wouldn't you think Blake Griffin was untradeable? I'm not, and I'm, I'm totally not advocating mm-hmm. to trade John Wall, but I have, what, after what happened with uh, Blake last year, I'm thinking even if you get this, these crazy Supermax contracts, you're not, I mean, you're, you're not untouchable. Mm. But go yeah. ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I, you know, I didn't think of Blake for a second there, but I mean, it would take what Detroit was, right? A desperate team with like no cap flexibility that had to do that. This was the only way they could potentially shake up the etch a sketch and, and make it happen. I mean, I just think, I mean, I, I, there's, there's probably a finite number of teams that would even consider unless he goes out next year and plays like an all NBA point guard again. Right. I mean, unless he's, he looks right. like the, the, the young John wall, but I mean, do, are you, ex, are you expecting scaled? I mean, we kind of touched on, it, but scaled back minutes, more Sadoransky at that spot. I mean, is this going to be a different look to think for John wall this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, um, um, a little interested about what will happen there because I thought Thomas Sadoransky, all things considered, did a good job going in for John Wall after his surgery. Um, he might have worn down a little bit uh, near the end, but you know he was he was a he was a capable guy um, um, in place of John Wall, and I thought he would have been perfect as his uh, as his uh, as his backup. But you go to the playoffs. They bring in Tyler Lawson, and essentially uh, Thomas Sadoransky is out of the rotation. So, do they trust, or does Scott Brooks trust Thomas Sadoransky enough to be a capable backup for John Wall? Um, that's one of the many questions that I have going into next season. Because if he really did trust in him, then why didn't he use him in the uh, in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. So, and he's another one of those guys. He's on a one year. He's on, he's in the last year of his deal. So. Um, I imagine when um, you know he he is on a court, he wants to showcase what he can do. Um, but um, does the team trust him enough to be that guy um, to to give John Wall a break? I feel like we we say this going into every year, the last few seasons, about the significance of the year for that their backcourt with Wall and Beal. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> is this any different? Do you think? I mean, we talked about John Wall being you know tough to trade, Beal less so, of course. Um, is this? Do you look at this as being a significant season for those two? Yeah, I absolutely do. It's, every season is one, but this one in particular because mm-hmm. John's coming off the uh, surgery and uh, he's been um, promoting his summer separation on on uh, social media, and so obviously he's he's looking to to do and to make some noise um, in year nine. But and Brad, which who had a career year, was a first time All Star. Um, he made progress, but there are still many things that he can improve on. Uh, I think chief among them is um, how he performs in late game situations. Um, uh, you know, he had that breakout moment in Portland last year, scoring 51 points. Uh, and he shows that he can lead. He can be a facilitator uh, when John was out, but there's, there's other things that he can work on. Um, he was, he can be a facilitator, but he can also work on that. There were a lot of times where, um, I guess his his decisions uh, weren't always the sharpest, and turnovers ensued. But um, you know he's a young player that's who's uh, 
who who need to take that next step and not just be an all star, but you know, they're, they, I think now they can rightfully claim uh, the best backcourt in the East now that DeMar DeRozan is uh, in the West. But um, it's it's really time to see um, the manifestation of all of the, the bluster that we had that we have heard over the last last few years that you know teams are scared of us. Um, no one wants to. No one wants to play the Wizards. They they know what's up. Blah blah blah. Um, <laughs> but actually, let's let's see that work out on the court. They they do love to say stuff like that. It, it, it's almost become <laughs> like comical. Like every year, it's like we're coming to get you. We're the boogeyman. Then it's like, how do you define Maybe coming to get you? They've learned their lesson though. Yeah, it just it never. Um, how would you describe the relationship between Wall and Beal? Is it is it solid at this point? Any any tension there? Solid. Um, you know, I've been, I've been. Telling, this will be the start of my third season on the beat, and, and my first year uh, that summer, uh, Bradley Bill signed his extension, and uh, both players did this interview with the, the local uh, uh, broadcast partner and said that. Um, and his, I think John Wall's quote was, "Sometimes we have a tendency to dislike each other on the court," and that was, you know, rightfully ran with mm-hmm. um, um, in NBA Twitter sphere. But when I saw them together that year, last year, their interactions within the locker room when, you know, we're allowed to see them, those little tiny interactions after shoot-around. And when you can really gauge who has relationships within the team, like those moments, um, I never saw, like, animosity or disconnect. Um, And last year I I thought it was actually, you know, probably really good for Bradley to – to um, step up because um, he had to. Uh, John wasn't. John wasn't on the court, and I don't think that's a coincidence. That oh, suddenly he has his best year, and John's not on the court. But I think it'll be you know false equivalency to say that he's just a better player without John on the court. That's that's just not the case. They mm-hmm. should be able to complement each other. Now they now they are an all star backcourt, and uh, if you look at some of the best teams. Um, who have multiple all-stars, you should see a little bit, I'm sorry, the Wizards should see a little bit of um, um, unity and cohesion between those, two te- between those two guys, and they should be able to feed off each other and work off each other. So I think their relationship is just fine. Um, I've wrote, I wrote a big story about Brad Bill before the all-star break, and one of the, one of the tidbits that he said that, you know, sometimes he goes to John's house and they have like a, doggy play date he brings his dogs and you know john has his, his bevy of dogs but john has never been to his house that's i think they're, they're probably at if we could probably put it like in our sense they're probably just really cool co-workers mm-hmm. do i see um do i see uh john going to like his baby shower because uh, uh, recently brad and his girlfriend just had a baby no <laughs> but i do think they're cool enough and they they can coexist long enough to uh, you know, be at each other's necks. Um, You know, one of the few areas outside of the, you know, John Wall getting healthy and some of the stars doing some things, one of the areas they can, they have internal, the ability to get better internally is probably with a guy like Kelly Oubre, you know, uh, what's he entering his fourth year uh, in the league, averaged 12 points, improved his three point shooting to the mid thirties, but I think he only shot like under 30% from three after February. And I saw 17% from three uh, in the playoffs. I mean, he is extension eligible. Let me start there. Do you think the wizards make any, serious effort to extend him? 
I don't think so. And just because of history, they didn't do it without a Porter and they didn't do it with um, Bradley Bill. They, they were able to max out both of those guys. But now with their cap situation, I really doubt they uh, um, and just with their history, I, I just really doubt they'll do that with Kelly. What, what do you think they, you know, where is his room for improvement? What, where can he, you know, help that team in, in different ways? Well, yeah, his, his role is supposed to be, um, you know, defending essentially three, four positions. And defense is supposed to be his calling card. And when he veers away from that, that's when Scott Brooks um, wants to veer, veer away from him. Um, problem is, you know, when you're young and you are entering a contract year, you want to showcase a little bit more. I do believe that he um, – he can work on his three-point shot again, and as you said, he 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 faded after he faded after the All-Star break. So work on that consistency of knocking down um, a jumper because when when he is on the court and they go small and he's playing uh, the three and Otto may be the four, um, he'll have open shots in the corner. And I just don't remember a lot of times at the end of last year after February him being able to knock down those shots. Um, I think he's done a great job in being able to, um, you know, lead a fast break or, or, or score in an open court. And, and uh, sometimes finding an open guy, there were, there were times when his head was just only focused on the rim and, he, and um, you know, mistakes followed because you're not looking up and finding guys on the court. But um, he's a better finisher. He was a better finisher and, he, and, and did a better job trick, passing the ball. But um, consistent effort. Maybe not effort. That's not the word. But consistent focus on defense is probably where uh, the Wizards would like to see him improve. And and just for his stock um, in the open market next year, uh, consistency in knocking down um, those open threes. Mm. All right. Let me finish with uh, with the coach. You mentioned Scott Brooks and year three of a pretty big contract for him. Um, is there? Do you see any pressure on him this year? I mean, the Wizards historically are quite resistant to change in a lot of ways, both in the general manager and the head coach mm-hmm. positions. But is there any more pressure on him to, to, to succeed this year? Um, well, I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I agree with um, my, my colleague, um, our columnist, Jerry Brewer, who after I think the, um, the Dwight signing, he said it, the emphasis is on, on, um, on uh, Scott, I'm sorry, Scott Brooks, to keep the locker room intact, uh, because if the locker room, if there if there are locker room problems, and, and last year they they clearly they clearly were, uh, how about we stop we stop putting it in the hands of the players and we focus on this highly paid coach. He's one of the most um, highly uh, highest paid coaches in the league, and he has a bevy of talent. And it should be on him. The onus, I should say, should be on him. Um, that was Jerry Brewer's uh, uh, thoughts on all of this. So maybe not pressure, but I would say we're going to be looking at him a little bit closer this year than than and maybe in the past years because um, if we are if we are saying there's a leadership void in the in the locker room, that should never be the case when you have uh, a head coach who's been to the NBA Finals who's coach superstars, three former in, three MVPs before they, um, um, uh, you know, before they really took off. So, um, so maybe not pressure, but definitely uh, looking at Scott uh, a, a little bit closer 
and expecting uh, inspecting his work um, on the court and in that locker room closer this year. I think you are going to have arguably the most interesting beat in the league. I think the Lakers <laughs> might be the most interesting beat, but for the East yeah. Coast, I mean, that's that the, the the potential for daily drama down there, Candace. I think is <laughs> is relatively high. Can't wait! Yay! <laughs> uh, Candace, keep up the great work. Thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Um, enjoy whatever you do, Chris. <laughs> I shall. That's a bad sign off. I'm sorry. Thanks for having me, Chris. <laughs> we'll take both. We'll keep it all in there. Okay. All right. My thanks to Candace Buckner for joining me, and uh, joining me now on the podcast is Tony Jones. The great job covering. Uh, the Utah Jazz over at the Salt Lake Tribune. Tony, what's happening, man? Nothing at all. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here, man, because you've got you got a good team out there in Utah. I mean, by any metric, I mean, last season was a, a raging success in Utah. Lose Gordon Hayward, win 48 games, get back to the second round. And it seems like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the Jazz just decided that if it ain't broke, you know, don't fix it. They brought the band you know, back together. Derek Favors got a new deal. Dante Exum returned. So it's pretty clear to me that, that Utah is just banking on that great internal development that they've had in recent years to get them to that next level. Is that a fair way to, 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 to phrase it? Yeah, I think it's a fair way to phrase it. I think, you know, one of the things with uh, general manager Dennis Lindsay saw was uh, tremendous growth from the group in the second half of the season uh, after, you know, taking two or three months to, for the group to kind of acclimate itself. Uh, and, and what he saw was, you know, he took the, the metrics from, you know, Rudy Gobert playing the second half of the season, and he said, hey, okay, so what if we brought this group back? Uh, we, we, you know, you hopefully get Rudy Gobert back for, you know, 75 to 80 games. Uh, you get Dante Exum back after Dante practically missed the entire regular season last year. Uh, and, and bring this group back and, and, and run this group back for an entire season. And, you know, I think that, you know, Lindsay's, you know, thought process was he wants to see what this group can do. You know, they're not sure, you know, that they're any closer to, to, to Houston or Golden State, um, but they want to find out exactly where they are. And I think, you know, playing so well in the second half of the season last year uh, has kind of peaked uh, Dennis Lindsay's interest in, in relation to, to keeping this group together for another year. Yeah, a couple things about the offseason I found interesting. One was was Favors coming back. I mean, you're, you're much closer to it than I was, but I thought of any of the guys that were free agents that could be on the move, I thought he would be the one of them. Uh, the two-year deal, uh, second year, not guaranteed, of course, but that was the one guy, Tony, I thought was gone, both because there could have been interest elsewhere, and I did wonder if the Jazz might embrace that small ball shooting at the four uh, alongside Rudy Gobert. What did you think of, of Favors returning? Well, I think they, they, the, the Jazz think that they have the best of both worlds in terms of being able to be unique in terms of having two rim protectors uh, and, and being able to keep a rim protector on the floor um, for, for, for 48 minutes, which is something that not a lot of NBA teams can do. But the second thing is there's a lot of clarity on both sides uh, with Derek Favors and the Utah Jazz in terms of what Derek's role is going to be. You know, he's going to start every game. He's, he's going to come out around the eight-minute mark of the first quarter. Uh, and then essentially from that eight-minute mark of the first quarter on or the six-minute mark, he essentially uh, switches off of Rudy Gobert for the rest of the half. So in totality, 
Uh, he'll play 25 to 28 minutes a game. You know, he won't close a lot of games uh, because they'll close with Jay Crowder or, or Tabo Suffolosha or even Royce O'Neal or, or Joe Ingles at the four. Uh, so they, they get the – they they get the sense of being big, but they can also go. They also have uh, the ability to go small for long stretches as well. And I think that it worked well for them, uh, especially in the second half of last season. Uh, and, and and Derek it, he re-signed with the Jazz, you know, with his eyes open in terms of what his role is going to be. So I think uh, I, I think that both sides are looking at this as as a win-win. Yeah, and he could even be a really interesting trade ship come February too, right? Because, um, you know, there are going to be a lot of teams looking to slash payroll going into next summer. The Jazz, you know, presumably not may not want to be one of them. They think they can, you know, make a run in the playoffs and a team's looking to move an asset in exchange for an expiring contract, expiring-ish contract. Um, I, I think he. it seems like he could be a pretty good asset for them in that regard too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's somebody who, you know, if he goes to any other, you know, most other teams in the league, then he becomes a starting center uh, in this league. And he's still 26, 27 years old. Uh, he's a guy who's proven to be a really, really, really good locker room presence. Uh, and, and he's a guy uh, that I, I think, you know, is mature enough uh, to, to understand the business of the NBA. And I think that that goes a long way uh, towards what his value to a team is. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, what I've been told from internally is that, that the Jazz really want this to work. Uh, they're not sure that it's going to work past another year, uh, which is why the second year is, is, is non-guaranteed. Uh, but I think that Derek Favors looked at the market, uh, realized that the market was going to be really saturated, uh, and, and decided to come back and have a good year or hopefully to have as good a year as possible uh, and, and test the free agent market, free agency market next year, uh, where there should be a little bit more money freed up around the league. So, you know, visiting Utah late last season, I, I did get the sense from from talking to people there that they, they were reasonably confident they could get a deal done uh, with Dante Exum to bring him back uh, long term. Even with two of the last three years, you know, basically decimated by pretty catastrophic injuries, the Jazz clearly still believe in him as as a, a part of their their future core the three-year deal at 33 million that that did surprise me a little bit tony the the the, the money that they invested uh in dante exum at 11 million dollars per year now I, I i get it the salary cap is what it is and that's basically mid-level money uh right now but what did you make of of that deal for exum and what do you think they have kind of in store for him or, or hope to get from him next season well, I think that this year is is the year where I think that he's going to set his career path. Um, I think that he's going to have to prove, you know, Dante Exum wants to be a starting point guard in this league, mm. and he believes that he's a starting point guard in this league. And I think that this is the year that he's going to have to play well enough to prove that he can be. Um, if he never gets better, uh, I think that he's on a path where he's a valuable rotation player because he's really good defensively. Uh, and, and obviously he has size and uh, athleticism at that point guard spot. Um, but, you know, Dante wants more for himself, and I think that he's a guy that's got to prove uh, that he's capable of more. And I think the Jazz believe that he's capable of more. They, they believe that uh, he, he's capable of shooting the ball better. Uh, they think that, you know, if he can stay healthy, 
uh, that his game still has, you know, significant growth left. You got to realize that he's going into his fifth year, but he's only 23 years old. He just turned 23. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, when the Jazz look at uh, the sum of, of the parts when it comes to Dante X, and they believe that there's still uh, growth left in his game, uh, and, and they wanted to lock that up, and they, they wanted to uh, show some confidence in him, show some faith in him, which is why they gave him the years, uh, and they gave him the money as well. Do you think he has those point guard skills? I go back and forth on that. I've liked Dante Exum a lot since he you know, came into the NBA, um, but I, I, maybe I haven't seen enough to know if a guy with his size can be you know, a full-time point guard in this league. What do you think? Well, I think that he's good in the pick and roll. Uh, he's good at making that initial read. He's a good passer out of the pick and roll. Um, that's very point guard-like. Um, I, I think that he's a guy that can get to the basket rather easily uh, against a lot of point guards. Uh, but I think that he's got to prove that he can run a team. He hasn't proven that he can do that yet. Uh, and and I think that you know the hallmark of point guards in today's league are are guys that are able to break you down off the dribble. Uh, guys that have, you know, really nice handles and crafty handles. And he's got to prove that he can do that as well. You know, so those are, there, there are two pretty big, you know, areas that he's going to have to show improvement and prove that he can do. Um, he's he's got to prove that he can run a team. And, and, and that's, that's something that I can't stress enough. Uh, and, and if he can do those two things, you know, he's, he's got a chance to, to be a starting point guard in this league. But he clearly believes that he's a point guard. You know, I think Ricky Rubio, he, he, Dante would do well to, to really learn uh, from what Ricky can do because one of the things that Ricky can really well is run a team and get guys in the right spots and, 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 and call the right plays and call the right plays and recognize mismatches uh, on the floor with his teammates. And Dante has to be able to do that. I think that he can, uh, but he's got to develop into that, to that guy uh, this year and going forward. What, what do you think of the Jazz? Uh, I mean, Ricky Rubio, you, you, you think of him and you're like, oh, he's got to be 30, right? He's 27 years old. Like, it's, it's unbelievable that this guy, he's just been on the radar, whether it's playing overseas at, at, as a teenager to, you know, to when he was with Minnesota. Um, it, it feels like he's been around forever, but he is still a pretty young guy and does fit in with what the Jazz are, are looking to do in terms of developing a young team. Is his, is his future with the Jazz, you think, tied to the development of Dante Exum, or do they think that these two guys could coexist together for a long time. Well, I think that there's, there's a faction that believes that, that those guys can coexist, especially if Dante, you know, becomes a 36, 37, 38% three point shooter. Um, you know, they really love uh, the way, you know, Dante size compliments Ricky uh, at the one. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you, you know, the jazz couldn't have been happier with, with uh, Rubio's development. You know, the first two months of the season, the first three months of the season were really, really rough for him. You know, he was turning the ball over really uncharacteristically uh, because he never really turns the ball over. He wasn't, he wasn't confident in shooting the ball, but they empowered him. Like they said, hey, every time that you're open, we want you to shoot the basketball uh, to the point where we're going to take you out of the game if you don't shoot the basketball. And, you know, it, it really paid off well in the second half of the, of the season. Uh, and in the playoffs, there were times that Ricky Rubio was, was the best player on the floor uh, in that Oklahoma City series in the first round, uh, especially in the first half of game three, 
and and there were there were times where Rubio was playing like an elite point guard, especially in the second half of the regular season. You know, he started to shoot the ball better. He figured out where his what his role was in the, within uh, the Jazz offense. He developed a rapport with with Rudy Gobert, uh, and, and I think that you know you started to see in the second half of that regular season. Uh, Ricky Rubio do some things that we've never seen Ricky Rubio be able to do. So, you know, if if he can if he can roll that in and and translate that into this season, uh, I think the Jazz are going to be really difficult to beat because, you know, I don't think that the, the Jazz realized that that Rubio could could thrive in that offense even to the point where he did last year. Uh, and I think that if, if, if that all of that translates, I think that the Jazz have a really nice backcourt with Rubio and Don, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, Rubio, you know, never going to be kind of that dead-eye three-point shooter, but 35% from three last year was a career high for him. That's If he can, you know, do that or a little bit more, he, he's he's pretty dangerous as a point guard. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that was, you know, and, and that was the crux of his development. Uh, and I think that the turning point for him uh, came late January last year when he hit that game-winning three-pointer against the Toronto Raptors on the road, and then that, and in a lot of ways, that win facilitated with the, the the Jazz run through the second half of the season. But it also jump-started Rubio, and I, and I think that it gave him a lot of confidence, uh, and, and he was just really tremendous in the second half of the season. Yeah. Now the the the, the face of the Jazz now is you know Rudy Gobert might be the best player, or however you want to put it, but Donovan Mitchell clearly the face. Uh, of that team tremendous rookie season you know on the court and and even off it as well with how he conducted himself and and sort of the 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 spark he gave uh that organization now that we've seen what he is tony as 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 a player that that he became last season coming out of louisville um the next step for him what do you think that is what what do they the jazz want to turn him into in year two year three down the line well, the next step for him immediately is for him to become more efficient, right? You know, you he you want him to be that guy. So let's take Kevin Durant for example. You can go an entire game and, and kind of not realize that Kevin Durant, you know, is playing because he can kind of be anonymous a little bit, and then you can look at the stat sheet and you can say, "Oh my goodness!" Well, Kevin Durant just shot, you know, fourteen for for nineteen. You know, he scored 35 points and and had eight rebounds and had seven assists. How did this happen? And you know, and, and obviously, you know, Donovan Mitchell's not going to get to that to that level uh, this season. But you want him trending towards that level where, you know, he just gets easy points and you know he's a guy who can score with ease and he can score uh, within the flow of the offense. You know, Donovan Mitchell is a spectacular scorer right now, and and the Jazz want to turn him into you know, a quiet, lethal, efficient score. And, and they want him to be, you know, a guy that, that can get up into that, that 40, 45 to 50% uh, range in terms of field goals. They want him to be that guy that, that, that can just go out and, and, and get buckets, you know, in a variety of ways. They want him to, you know, get to the free throw line a little bit more, which should, should come this season. Uh, they want, you know, they want him to, to be a little bit more efficient, uh, from behind the arc, and they obviously want him to do some of the other things, you know, in terms of playmaking and and, and figuring out ways to rebound the ball more. Um, you know, it's just you know a natural growth uh, from a guy's rookie season. You know, when you look at Donovan, and and, and obviously you didn't think that he was a rookie towards the second half of the season, 
Um, you know, but you know, he's a guy that I think that can, you know, maybe average 25 points per game, uh, this season. Uh, he's a guy that, that can, you know, be an elite scorer in this league. And I think that the Jazz, uh, want to set him on that path, you know, much in the way that they want Dante Exum to set himself on the path to trying to be a starting point guard in this league. You know, Donovan at this point doesn't have to be a leader necessarily on that team because they've got Gobert there, Favors, Joe Ingles, you know, a really strong locker room with, with veteran players. But as his career progresses, did you get any sense that he has those qualities, those leadership qualities that, that you know, will ma- eventually make him kind of the face of that locker room? You know, it's funny because I, I thought that, you know, a lot of that stuff came out last year. Um and he was a guy that that wasn't afraid to speak his mind uh, within the locker room and on the floor last year. And I think that uh, he's a guy that that I think you know it's uh, certainly by year three, but maybe even by year two, uh, is, is a guy that's going to be able to take take over the locker room in terms of a leadership perspective. And you know the good thing about the locker room that he's in right now is that the older guys they're not afraid to step back and let him lead. And, you know, they, they, they know uh, what they have in Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I think that Donovan uh, has earned and commanded respect from the way, you know, as you said, that he conducted himself on and off the floor. Uh, and it's, it's a close and a really tight knit locker room. And I think that there's a lot of leaders uh, in that locker room from, from, you know, Donovan to Joe Ingles to, to Rudy Gobert in his own way. Uh, to even, you know, veterans in Epe Udo and, and, and Tavo So, you know, I, I think that, that Donovan's a naturally an alpha type of uh, player, and, and I think that he's uh, – that you're going to see that come out a little bit more and more, especially as, as, as his career uh, progresses with the Jazz. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him take a, a, a real leap in that department this season. You know, if there's one critique about this offseason for Utah is that I-, I thought they might try to find more shooting on free agency somewhere. D- didn't really do that. Um, h- how big an issue, if at all, do you think that's going to be for this team next year? The the lack maybe well, of that remains knockdown. to be that, that remains to be seen. And and I think one of the things that they're banking on is internal development. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they're they're banking on you know Dante Axum becoming a better shooter. They're banking on Royce O'Neal. Uh, becoming a better shooter and you know they're banking on Donovan Mitchell becoming a better shooter you know that that was one of the reasons why they decided to run this back was because they have you know a a lot of young guys in that rotation that they really looked at and said okay all of these guys can get better uh, with a lot of work uh, over the summer so you know if if all of that stuff comes to fruition um, you know you, you it's not as much of a problem, but if it doesn't come to fruition, then, you know, you're looking at, you know, Joe Ingles as, as potentially your only true knockdown shooter um, other than maybe a Grayson Allen who you, you don't know how much time he's going to even get in this rotation. Uh, so a lot of that depends on, on, on Dante Exum and Donovan Mitchell uh, and Royce O'Neal and, and even Jay Crowder with a, 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 an, a, an entire year of acclimation uh, in the system. Um, but if all of that stuff can happen and all of those guys can get better, 
uh, it's not as much of a problem as it appears right now on paper. Oh, if you're banking on internal development, I don't know how many teams are better at it at this point than than what Utah is. I mean, they just take even like a veteran guy. I mean, I, I saw Jay Crowder in Cleveland. I thought he was done. I covered him extensively in Boston. He was great. He goes to Cleveland. I thought he was toast, and he gets reinvigorated uh, in that that Jazz system. I mean, they just—I I don't know what it is, Tony, but they, they from Quinn Snyder on down, their player development program is just excellent. Yeah, it's one of the best that 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 I've seen, and you know, obviously the, the Jazz are the only team, the the only NBA team that I've covered in my career. Um, but you do look at that that internal development, and you do look at um, the player development and and how guys are getting better. I mean, I can look at at the end of the roster. You know, George and Yang, uh, when he came to 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 the Jazz, I mean, he did not look like an NBA player. And then you watch him in summer league. And I'm, not only does he look like an NBA player, he looks like an NBA rotation player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's, you know, the internal development that the, that the Jazz uh, have been able to use so well. I mean, it's very it's very San Antonio Spurs-like, you know, which makes sense because, <laughs> you know, a lot of the roots of the Jazz, you know, come from the Spurs in terms of Dennis Lindsay and, and, and Quinn Snyder. Um, you know, but you look at Joe Ingles, uh, I don't think anybody real, you know, could have predicted that he become, you know, one of the top ten or twelve or fifteen small forwards in the NBA uh, when he first came to the Jazz. Um, you know, so I, I think you look at, you know, somebody like a Jay Crowder, you know, who, you know, went to Cleveland and and basically dealt with a, a lot of adverse circumstances in terms of his fit uh, in that locker room and on the floor, and then he looks like a completely different player. Uh, with the Jazz. So, you know, I think that they have, you know, a, a real knack of developing guys uh, and even veteran guys. And, and, and I think that, you know, that's, that's again, that's another one of the reasons why the Jazz decided to bring back their entire roster this year. All right, let me finish with uh, a little bit more on that player development angle. Grayson Allen uh, was the top draft pick in this year's uh, draft for Utah. The Jazz have kind of earned the right uh, to 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 not be second guessed necessarily because of um, who they've drafted and how they've developed in recent years. But I thought that was a pretty interesting, uh, interesting pick there. I mean, Grayson's tremendously athletic, but you know, he certainly had some, some problems at Duke, the tripping stuff, maturity issues, things like that. Uh, wh- what did you see from Drayson Allen during summer league? And, and from what you've, you've been able to glean, I mean, does, does, do you expect him to have a role with this team this year? I mean, what do they hope to, to get from him in his first season? Well, that's the funny part. You know, I, you know, barring injury, I I have, I mean, who's he going to play over? Yeah. Um. You know, I I just don't see him, you know, being a, you know, an an integral part of the rotation in in the first year because the Jazz are you know so deep, um, this season. I mean, it's going to be hard for him, uh, to get on the floor. And you know, that being said, I thought that he played really well in summer league. Like I think. You know the 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 more surpri- most surprising thing that I saw from Grayson Allen is that I think that he can actually be an NBA point guard mm-hmm. um, because you know I think that you know he's he's got a really nice handle uh, he's got a really nice feel for running pick and roll and and he's a surprisingly good passer um, you know I, I think that he's a guy uh, that that you know can develop into a really nice role player maybe even a starter. Uh, he can shoot, uh, as you said. He's really athletic. Uh, he can pass the basketball. Uh, he's a guy that has an aptitude defensively. 
and you know he's not scared. He's going to go at his opponent, um, and he's going to play hard. Um, you know that being said, I mean it, it's funny because a lot of Jazz fans have asked me, well, how 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 much do you see Grayson Allen playing? But the truth is, I don't see him playing a lot because there's just so many guys uh, that are ahead of him. Um, that I think that if this Jazz team uh, stays healthy, that I think that it's going to be hard for him to carve out a role in this rookie season. Was he just to them then just best guy on the board, or do they or do they see him as something else down the line? Well, they really liked him. Um, they really liked him in the combine, uh, and they really liked him when they brought him in for an individual workout. Uh, he worked out with uh, some real heavy hitters. Uh, he had Jalen Brunson in his workout. Um, uh, he had Kyrie Thomas in his workout, I believe. Uh, so he, he had, you know, a lot of good guys in his workout, and he was he was the best player in that workout. Um, and and I got that from, you know, executives, and I got that from a couple of players that that are on the team who are at the workout. So, you know, he he he's a guy that 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 uh, really impressed the Jazz uh, in the pre-draft process uh, to the point where I wasn't surprised at all when when uh, I heard his name um, uh, on draft night. So, you know, I, I think that the Jazz really like him and they want to develop him, um, you know, down the road. And I think that there could be a role for him uh, if the Jazz suffer, you know, a couple of injuries. And, you know, knowing the Jazz and, and their history over the last few years, they they have not been able to stay healthy. Uh, so, you know, he he's a guy that I think that the Jazz really liked and I think that the Jazz – uh, really honed in on uh, with their with their pick in the draft, and and, and I think that uh, they're happy with uh, the fact that he's on the roster. Certainly, will be a different feeling when training camp rolls around this time. Huh? I mean, last year what was it all Gordon Hayward all the time? Now it's like, how far can you guys go? I mean, it's incredible what what a difference a year makes. Yeah, you know, last year at this time, I mean. You know, when, when, you know, we convened, you know, for media day and, and training camp, I mean, I think that the first, you know, four days of training camp, it was, okay, how are you guys going to deal without Gordon Hayward? How are you guys going to deal without Gordon Hayward? To the point where, you know, we were literally told not to, to stop asking about Gordon Hayward. Um, uh, and and it's, 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 it's funny because, you know, I don't think anybody could have foreseen you know, just how um, last year was going to play out. You know, I, I picked the Jazz to go to the playoffs to get, you know, one of the last two seeds. I thought that they had a chance to win 45 games because I thought that their defense was that good. Um, but, you know, I don't think anybody could have foreseen, you know, them, you know, being 19 or 28, you know, at one point and then basically, you know, winning 30 of their last 35 games. Uh, to 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 get the, to to get into the playoffs and to get into the playoffs as a five seed. So, you know, Donovan Mitchell, you know, he, in a lot of ways, he's he saved the franchise uh, with his play, and, and he saved the franchise in terms of, you know, the 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 value, not the value of the franchise, but the validity of, you know, the Jazz as a playoff team year in and year out, and and I think that. Uh, they want to try to build on that and, and try to get to a point where they're, they're championship level. And I think that they want to take uh, this season to figure out exactly where their level is and what they have to do uh, to get to that championship level next year in free agency. 
Should be interesting. Tony, enjoy your last few weeks of freedom before uh, training camp uh, opens up. Uh, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me, Chris. I really, really appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Candace Buckner and Tony Jones for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.